This is episode 122 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Six Plant Diseases and How to Prevent Them Do You Have What It Takes to Survive a Disaster? And Six Habits of Highly Effective Preppers Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, uh, just uh, fair warning, I'm, I'm pulling a, a Sarge from American Preppers Online. I had to make some coffee uh, this evening to do this one, man. I, I am I am seriously tired and you know just yawning, and so, uh, so you're gonna have to bear with me the, this evening as I as I do Tuesday's podcast. I think we have some good ones. We have one really long one from uh, Survival Sullivan. Do you have what it takes to survive disaster? So that's gonna be a long one to get through, but uh, I think it's good, and uh, hopefully I you know I'll be able to provide some commentary. But uh, I know that a lot of us garden, a lot of us are out there, and uh, gardening is, is one of those things that, um, it's kind of like that gateway, you know, like firearms and gardening are gateway drugs to preparedness. And so uh, I think it's one of those things that you, you should know how to do. And so a lot of the times we go out and if, when we start gardening, we go out to, you know, the big box stores like Home Depot, Lowe's, whatever, we, we'll get some potting soil, we get the... This stuff with Miracle Grow in there, and and you know we we have some success that way, but then after a while you start getting some diseases, you start having some issues, and uh, being able to identify those things are important, and then being able to deal with those things. You know, right now when you can run to Home Depot and you got a fungus, or or you can get on Amazon and you can order something organic or whatever, you know, you you can do all that. But what if you didn't have that, or what if you ran out of those supplies? and uh, those supplies weren't readily available, how would you do that? So I think that's something that should always be in the back of our minds. How can we uh, take care of plant diseases and plant issues and, and those kinds of things uh, if we don't have all the, the normal supplies? Uh, but then the other thing is just being able to identify it. I mean, you, you got to start there, being able to identify what it is and moving from there. That's why the Internet is so powerful because you can take a picture and you can go and you can start searching things online and uh, you know figure out what it is and from there start diagnosing it. So when you can do that now uh, and and build upon that knowledge, I think it's very important. So this first uh, article comes to us from HomesteadSurvivalSite.com and again it's six plant diseases and how to prevent them. So let's go ahead and get started on this one. Even the most healthy plants will sometimes succumb to disease. But if you know what to watch out for and how to treat it, you'll often be able to catch it early and nip it in the bud. Here are some of the most common types of plant diseases you'll come across growing both perennials and annuals with some examples of specific diseases you'll want to look out for. Fungus diseases. Many fungi are actually useful to plants, forming symbiotic relationships with them and breaking down organic matter into bioavailable nutrients. However, there are also many that are not beneficial to plants, with species that may infect all parts of a plant from the root to the shoots. Pathogenic pathogenic fungi harm plants through toxins they produce, while others directly feed on plant tissue. Pathogenic fungi usually spread in cool, wet conditions and can take hold with lack of airflow around plants or even due to the presence of insect hosts 
like fungal gnats. Management practices include fungicides and cultural management, usually increasing airflow around plants, especially trees. Treatment includes fungicidal sulfur, diluted hydrogen peroxide 1-3%, and some people report success with aerated compost tea foliar sprays. A homemade fungicide spray can also be made from 4 tablespoons of baking soda, 1 tablespoon of gentle soap, and 1 gallon of water. Do not get this on the soil and use it sparingly. Sprays must be applied at the first signs of disease and reapplied on a 7-10 to day cycle and after rains. Number one is rust. This disease gets its name from the orange-brown spots or bumps it produces, usually on the underside of leaves, which burst forth to coat the foliage with reddish dust, shutting down leaf functions like transpiration and photosynthesis and turning the leaves yellow before they eventually die and fall off. Many plant species are affected, including vegetables like spinach and beets. There are also types of rust, such as cedar apple rust, that affects apples and appears as small yellow-orange spots on the leaves. To prevent rust, do not get irrigation water on plant leaves and ensure the soil is kept moist with mulch and high organic matter levels incorporate compost. This will reduce above-ground watering needs, which will help reduce above-ground fungus. Powdery mildew the second one. There are different forms of this disease that infect many plant types, including vegetables, flowers, strawberries, fruit trees, and grapes. All infections appear as powdery white to gray fungal patches on different parts of the plant. It is more common on older leaves and spreads via the wind, thus infecting other plants in the vicinity quickly. Caused by excessive moisture on the leaves, though it can grow on dry leaves in humid conditions, overhead irrigation can cause or make the disease worse. As with rust, mulch and ensure good organic matter levels to reduce above ground watering needs. Remove infected leaves immediately and burn. Bacterial diseases. Bacterial are single-celled organisms that can also feed on plants or produce destructive toxins and often grow in wet, cool conditions. Usually, they can only infect plants through openings and wounds. They can be spread through many means such as wind, rain, animals, and insects. Many bacterial diseases will overwinter in the soil or directly on plants. Organic bactericides may help minim minimally, though may cause more harm than good by destroying healthy bacteria too. The cultural management practices such as being careful not to water foliage, disinfecting tools and pots, crop rotation, and minimizing plant contact can help to control them. Bacterial blight. This is a disease mostly of legumes such as beans and peas. It manifests as strange water-saturated spots appearing on leaves and seed pods, as well as dark lesions on stems. Plants that are infected should be removed at first signs of disease to prevent it from spreading. Avoid touching plants, especially with wet hands. Number four is black rot. Black rot affects brassicas such as cauliflower, cabbage, and kale, causing discoloration of stems. Infected stems have black veins running through them, which you will see only when they are cut open. Crop rotation will help prevent black rot, as can soaking seeds in hot water prior to planting. Remove infected plants as soon as possible. Viral diseases. Vi viruses are sub-microscopic, too small to see under an optical microscope. 
and cause diseases by hijacking healthy plant cells. Viral diseases often appear as deformed growth, flower break, stunting, yellow, yellowing, spots, or strange patterns. Viruses are mainly controlled by cultural management practices, especially cultivating healthy plants and using resistant varieties. Infected plants should be removed at first signs of the disease and burned. Number five is curly top. This is a fairly common viral disease of peppers, beans, and tomatoes and is often mistaken for plants suffering from too much moisture. Symptoms include upward curling, thickened and stiff leaves that may turn yellow with purple veins. Plant growth is stunted and fruit may be deformed or may not develop at all. This disease seems to spread randomly between plants with some remaining unaffected while others around them succumb. Number six is mosaic. The viral disease can, this viral disease can affect many vegetable species including potatoes, turnips, and cucumbers. As with curly top, it stunts growth and may cause leaves to curl, though not necessarily upward while turning yellow with brown spots. This virus is spread mainly by aphids, so creating a healthy plant ecosystem to attract aphid predators such as ladybugs and parasitic wasps is beneficial. Companion planting with fennel, dill, and other umble, umble flowers will help with this. Infected plants should also be removed and burned. Do not compost diseased plants in general. These are, of course, just a few of the many diseases that plants can get. Remember that the, most healthy your the more healthy your plants are, the more likely they'll be able to fend off diseases and pests and to recover if they are infected. Ensuring plants have the right organic nutrients and that they are made bioavailable via a healthy soil food web will ensure your plants can move easily, create their own disease-fighting compounds, and resist infection by pathogenic fungus, bacteria, or viruses. If you like this article or if you have your own tips for dealing with these or other diseases, please feel free to share them in the comments below. All right, so um, the only thing I wish here that this article would have had, I think it would have... Uh, it would have uh, helped a lot. I mean, there's the the one article. I mean, I'm sorry, the one picture. You know, to uh, um, I guess as the the header uh, picture. And to be honest, a lot of the times when I do my own articles, I only put one graphic gra graphic up there. But uh, I think it would have been helpful to have graphics um, here in dealing with this. But uh, nevertheless, I think you should, you know, if you're when you're gardening, you should start to go, you know do your own research when you see things that don't look right. Um, they did allude to the to the very end at the very end here that uh, healthy you need to have healthy soil. I think that's the most important thing is to take care of your soil and invest in your soil and uh, you know do whatever you you need to do there to make sure that it's it's uh, it's good so that it will uh, you know when your when your soil is healthy and it has the nutrients that it has in there um, it will definitely benefit the plants and create that healthy environment. So. Um, good thing to uh, to be considering. I know we're right smack dab here in the, in the middle of summer. Uh, some of y'all might be okay with y'all's uh, uh, with your gardens. I know right now it's like super hot. Although uh, we have rain all this week here in Houston, but uh, it's just been super super hot. Um, so anyway, uh, go check that out at Homestead Survival Site. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to Survival Sullivan. Uh, this article, like I said before, this is going to be like a really long one. Uh, but it's entitled, Do You Have What It Takes to Survive a Disaster? And so uh, I think this is a good one that um, ho hopefully you, you're going to listen to the whole thing. 
but start to apply some of these things and you know see hey will my family go for this or will my group if I have a group go go with this or even if it's just you're right now you're a lone prepper uh, you're the only one in your family or you're the only one I mean it's just you you know start thinking about these things and applying these things if uh, if the poop really hit the fan because this is kind of what we're talking about you know if the, if the big one kind of hits do you have what it takes to survive um, the thing is is that you might have a little bit of insight into people's personalities and people's character uh, and maybe even yourself if you're if you're honest with yourself uh, how you how you would react in um, you know in a real disaster situation so uh, let's go ahead and get into this one do you have what it takes to survive a disaster? Maybe, maybe not. Far too many preppers focus only on the obviously important aspects of SHTF preparedness. Hands-on bushcraft, survival skills, supplies, weapons, and physical prowess. The mental preparedness and character or any prep of any prepper could either become his or her saving grace or turn into an Achilles heel that causes failure and ultimately death. How you will deal both intellectually and emotionally with a doomsday disaster scenario is just as important as how many number 10 cans of freeze-dried meat you have stockpiled in the basement, how good of a shot you are, and how well you know how to grow and preserve food. The top five ultimate survivor characteristic skills. Number one is mental toughness. Processing a high pain tolerance and being able to lift heavy things repeatedly without tiring is an essential part of prepping. But your mind must be equally tough if you want to survive. Your mind must be able to adapt and overcome witnessing and fearing the most inhumane and dire circumstances that will be looming around every corner after the SHTF. If you cannot stave off panic and continue to function with a clear mind, all the ammo in the world is not going to save your life. A decline in mental capacity during a Tiawaki situation should be anticipated now in order to prevent the being to prevent being reduced to a quivering ball of mush in the corner when disaster strikes. You might be tough and have witnessed combat and its impact on the lives of innocents before, but has everyone in your family or mutual assistance group? There are very real physical and mental tolls which will happen to your body during a long-term disaster, potentially overwhelming it and preventing you from properly utilizing all of your hands-on survival skills. Dehydration, hypothermia, fatigue, and emotional stress can creep up on even the most seasoned preppers, regardless of their training or professional background. Realistic weekend or week-long training drills should focus not just on all the common prepper training scenarios, like going without electricity, tracking, cooking over an open fire, and hunting, but on mental alertness and toughness as well. During such training sessions, try to push the buttons of your loved ones and attack the most vulnerable aspects of their personalities, especially when they are utterly exhausted. Sure, they will hate you for a few days after the mentally and emotionally draining survival drill, but what both you and they learn from the experience could save lives during an apocalyptic event. I can just kind of see families trying that and, and doing that and uh, just kids, kids just hating their parents. Uh, you really got to know your kids. You got to really know your family and your group to be doing stuff like that. Uh, monitor the behavior and reaction times during the training sessions. Be on the lookout for signs of irrational behavior, lashing out, depression, intense frustration, and a desire, intense frustration, sorry, and a desire to quit, hyperactivity, feelings of guilt, and potentially violent anger or rage. 
Forcing the loved ones to push through their emotions of mental overload will prevent them from shutting down completely and giving up. Number two is attitude. Pessimism will breed failure and perhaps even mutiny when only, when only intense unity will increase the chances of survival. Typically, folks who are of, I'm sorry, typically folks who are or were athletes will have less difficult time when it comes to keeping a positive attitude and mental toughness. This has far less to do with any past or current level of physical fitness and more to do with mental and emotional muscle memory. Athletes, even at the high school level, are pushed to the brink of exhaustion during conditioning practice and during games, often with a coach pushing them with forward, demanding, and unkind words. Athletes learn quitting is not an option, and your loved ones must embrace this concept as well if they want to survive after the SHTF. Having a positive or determined attitude may be an inherent part of a well person's of a person's character naturally, but these attributes can be taught as well, although it won't be easy. The family or mutual assistance group must function like a true tribe, all of one and one for all. That may be a cliche concept, but when things get bad, really, really bad, the genuine love for others and the, their dependence upon you to survive just might be the only thing that motivates you to take one more step, throw one more punch, or lift one more heavy sandbag. Everyone, regardless of age, must learn how to suck it up and move forward. Standing still will not be an option, not if survival is the ultimate goal. Number three is work ethic. This one is very hard to teach. If you weren't raised with work ethic or other members of your family are missing this attribute, the uphill battle for survival just became steeper. Lazy folks, especially pampered millennials, can develop a work ethic over time, but it will take a lot of time, determination, and even patience to get the job done. Preppers must have a there's, there's only me mindset to getting a job done or and there's only you mantra when trying to teach a work ethic to others. If you or those you are attempting to instruct do not get the job done right, this time and in an expeditious manner, there probably won't be a next time to try and get it right during the SHTF disaster. There's no excuses for laziness ever, especially not when your life and the lives of everyone you love are on the line. The only time anyone in all the family or tribe should be sitting or in a prone position is at dark after all the chores are done and it is not the individual's turn to be on guard duty. There is always something which can be done. No lounging by the campfire or sitting in a corner shivering fear. A busy body will also prevent the mind from focusing on anything but the task at hand. A great deterrent to the loss of mental toughness or positive attitude. Factor work ethic training into your survival drills. Be harsh. The world is often that way now and will be even more so during the apocalypse. Give a nearly insurmountable task to a person, partners, or small group of tribe members that if not accomplished properly and on time will cause the entire group to suffer. So work ethic training drills that you can do. Constructing a group shelter. During this, doing this during inclement weather is an even better motivator because the stakes are so much higher. If the group shelter is not constructed, do not send everyone home. Have anyone else pitch in to help or sleep in vehicles. For the lesson to be worthwhile, the entire group must tough it out and sleep on the ground or make do with sheltering options readily present in the natural environment. A miserable night for everyone and shame for the failed shelter builders will be a great motivator to get the job done and clearly dispel the real world consequences to being lazy or inept. Food. Again, assign one person or partners or a small group to find and prepare food for the entire group. 
Do not inform anyone in the group about the drill until setting up camp or launching the survival training. Knowing no food was packed as part of a backup plan will drive home the importance of foraging, fishing, hunting for food, and place an exceptional amount of pressure on the food seekers, motivating them to either success or failure they never want to repeat. Number four, flexibility. Learning how to adapt and overcome is not only a superb marine motto, it is marine motto, it is a guiding survival skill. Being too stubborn or rigid to adapt to an ever-changing situation will get you killed during a long-term disaster. Being able to decide when it is time to abandon a plan, give up on a tool which is not working, and finding another way to accomplish the task could one day mean the difference between life and death. Being stubborn is not always a bad thing. Not at all. Stubbornness is part of mental toughness and helps to develop a strong work ethic. But never allow stubbornness to rule the day and prevent you from adapting or changing your plan or path. When attempting to teach flexibility and adaptability to members of our family or survival group, remember one essential tool or item needed to accomplish a task or place a virtual barrier along the planned escape route, forcing those involved with the drill to draw upon both their mental and physical survival skill set to accomplish an essential goal. Number five is motivation. Becoming depressed or feeling hopeless is understandable during an SHTF disaster. But those emotions cannot be allowed to trump common sense and zap your motivation for survival. What motivates one person to keep going might be far less important to another. Keep this in mind when engaging in preparedness training with your tribe. Everyone should be able to rally around the concept of group preservation. Keeping the lives of your loved ones on the forefront of your mind will help keep feelings of depression in check. All of the emotional and mental survival skills work in conjunction with one another, like a chain that will weaken if not properly reinforced. During prepping drills, motivate those who are struggling by reminding them or yourself that is most important to them, how they are essential to making things that happen, and reminding them in brutally honest terms how bad things will get for those they love if they give up or shut down. Guilt can be a useful tool when widely, when wielded properly. Sorry. How to enhance your emotional and mental survival skills. Number one, rules and emotional toll of not having any. Now is the time to make sure everyone is on the same page about the guiding principles and protocols. If you wait until a potentially emotionally charged problem arises, dissension can occur and provoke a loss of mental toughness or hopelessness. Discuss the potentially heart-wrenching scenarios the family or tribe will likely face once the SHTF and agree to how they will be handled now. Actually, putting the rules into practice and making a decision will likely still take an emotional toll. It will at least be a heartache you have anticipating having and have prepared to face. When I first told my husband that I was in that was that I was all in on this prepping thing, he was so focused upon upon about six years ago. I said some ground rules needed to be established, or I was out. We had this discussion after a short-term natural disaster in our region. I was concerned about how my loving husband would react, not when the marauding horde showed up on our property, but kindly strangers and quite realistically, even friends who ignored their opportunity to prepare for a doomsday disaster. If a crying woman holding her extremely hungry toddler begged for just a little bit of food, I know my husband would be so hesitant to turn her away. Giving away food or any valuable asset would cause one or two things to happen in my mind. Number one. The woman and her child would live another day, maybe two. She would not only likely return begging for more, but many others surely would as well. 
Our generosity would not extend any of their lives very long, but the overall acts of charity would substantially decrease the number of days our own grandchildren would go without food. This was an unacceptable result, and I would not allow it to occur. With tears in my eyes, perhaps, I knew I could turn the woman away. Our family had to come first if we were going to survive. Number two, the woman, either voluntarily or, un- or under duress, showed up on our land begging for help. Once she and those children behind her realized we had food, they would attack, and not only our food, but our medical preps, animals, tools, and even our shelter and lives would be lost. Another unacceptable outcome. Write down a similar set of scenarios and draw them from a stack during an evening of survival training. Let the entire group ponder the scenarios and discuss the possible solutions or ways of handling each and then create a set of governing rules the group agrees to follow should any of the dire situations be presented after the SHTF. Education. Knowledge is power. Read or watch something related to homesteading and survival skills on a daily basis. A simple 15 minute of learning scheduled into each day and then later put into practice will add to both your mental and physical preparedness. Cross training and discussing how equipped the group is to carry out or deal with the situations focused upon during the learning session is an important follow-up activity. Introducing new skills training into upcoming preparedness will keep the group mentally sharp and focused on not only perfecting the skills and knowledge they already have, but will also make them realize how much they still have not mastered and motivate them to learn more. Number three, friendly competition. Push yourself and others by way of a little friendly competition is another great way to improve both physical and mental toughness while helping maintain a proper attitude. Incorporate what everyone learns during their daily preparedness education sessions by turning the new knowledge into a survival skills challenge. Everyone in the family or mutual assistance group can write down one thing they learned during the week on a piece of paper and place it on the table in card deck type fashion. Each member of the tribe draws a card and gets 10 minutes to learn what they can, however they can, about the survival skill they are challenged to complete. When the 10 minutes is up, the card issuer and the card holder go head to head to see who can complete the skill both the fastest and with the best results. As members of the tribe cheer them on, Full cross-training can occur later and should be recorded to further a little more friendly competition among the group. Keep a chart of each survival skill challenge and and mark down when each member of the tribe successfully completes all of the topics on the list, not just the ones they personally selected from the pile. Hold an award ceremony at the end of the month or quarter to acknowledge the success and progress of each group member. Perhaps even make some type of award trophy the leader on the board can proudly display or make the awards a traveling trophy the winner must complete to maintain. Number four is incorporating survival skills into your daily life. In addition to the daily preparedness learning sessions, do something physical each day to hone your bushcraft or survival skills. This practice will keep both your mind and body sharp and help to continually motivate you while keeping prepping a constant part of your life. Record your endeavors somehow by writing a short report about the experience and or videotaping the endeavor to share with the group. Making survival supplies or putting together preparedness would be an excellent use of your times as well. Survival daily life skills tips. Um, So just some ideas here. Make fire starters for yourself and to share with members of the tribe. This could become a coordinated project with each person making something or putting together a kit to share with others or to add to the group stockpile. 
Learn about and make home remedies that have long shelf lives and increase the medical preps of the group. Focus upon alternative remedies for medical conditions of loved ones and likely diseases which could spread during the SHTF. This project will add to the preparedness coffers and force you to con contemplate what will happen when you can't call 911, preparing you for the emotional and mental toughness required to get through such potentially situations, and motivate you to mitigate the impact on your tribe as much as possible. Forage your area and learn to expertly identify all potential edibles during each of the four seasons, what they can be used for medicinally and how to preserve them. The more you know, the more you are prepared, the better you will be able to adapt and stave off the desire to panic and give up. Number five is challenge yourself. Chart your own survival skills progress, both physical and mental. Get a couple of pieces of poster board and some stickers or stamps and record your progress. Make a chart that includes what you know now and using three different color stamps or markers, note if you have a beginner, average, or advanced mastery of the skill. Mental and emotional progress could be gauged by others in the group after a survival skill training session to ensure proper results. Look at the board each day and use it to guide your learning sessions and daily life prepping goals, making all of your time and efforts a coordinated effort. Seeing your survival report card in living color will foster both a sense of pride and motivation to change the color of each column from beginner to average to advanced. Number six, self-evaluation. Enhance your physical and mental toughness at the same time by drilling yourself and others in your tribe. Devise a survival training scenario where you alone are with others engaged in physically demanding behavior. This could be simple exercise activity or necessary manual labor chore on the homestead or prepper retreat. Immediately after the physical activity is over, launch in, into a competition against yourself or others to determine how you perform but mentally and physically while in an exhausted state. Working through exhaustion will require mental toughness, alertness, self-motivation, and the ability to adapt and overcome. Before engaging in the survival challenge, complete a known skill when not physically taxed, recording the results on video, if possible, and timing how long it took to complete the challenge. Compare how you performed in both challenges to help pinpoint your physical and mental weaknesses. How long did it take you to become frustrated during the challenge after physical activity? Did you make more mistakes when incredibly tired? Did you not work well with others if it, if it, has a if it was a group project? What you learn about yourself will be invaluable information that could one day save the lives of those you love. All right, so like I said, a really long article on this one here. Uh, and as I was going, I, I did have some things that I just kind of wanted to, to bring up. Um, the mental toughness, uh, I, I wanted to kind of talk just a little bit about that. And uh, not so much the, well, let me start off by this, okay? Um, doing, I mean, you have a lot of scenarios here. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you that there is probably less than 0.1% of people, of preppers that are going to do this. Most preppers are, they're stockpiling things, you know, you're, you're stockpiling gear, you're stockpiling food, and, you know, it's not, you're not looking at something like this, you're not training like this, you're definitely not, uh, you know, if, uh, you know, running your family through. Um, it's, it's rare when there is, um, I mean, you know, when I look at most statistics, when I've done, when I've done polls and stuff like that, I mean, a lot of the times people are, they are preparing by themselves. It's just them. Maybe their family is on board, uh, at least in, hey, you know, you, you know we're not going to consider you a whack job. Uh, you know, go ahead and prep, but, you know, we, we're going to live our lives over here. 
So, I mean, you have that aspect, so, you know, of that. Um, should you train? Yeah. Um, are you going to do it this way? I don't know. I think more more than likely you're going to uh, you you would receive more benefit, uh, especially from a family that um, uh, is not necessarily into the prepping by doing stuff like going camping and hiking and and those kinds of things. If you can build, if you're you know especially if you're a young family and you can build that into your family at an early age. Uh, where you're you're going out camping, where you you know that is like your family vacation. You go you know different places doing that. I think that's very very valuable. You know if you're a little bit older, um, and and your your kids are a little bit older, they might be into their cell phones and stuff like that. They might not want to do something like that, but you, you never know. You might just hey we're, let's go try this. Um, if you're like in in Houston, uh, I definitely would not want to go camping in July and August. Uh, camping like in September, October is is you know perfect. is really great weather. If it's not raining, it's nice and cool, and you can you know build a fire, and you're not gonna die, you know. And so if you're if you're introducing family members to stuff like that, you know, do it when you know, I mean, kind of really think it all through, right? Is what I'm trying to say. But anyway, so um, you, you have these you know two extremes, I guess that you can you can not extremes, I guess two two ends that you can do. Where you can kind of like um, do it in a backwards way, like you're, uh, like I said, you're going camping and you're trying to build these skills. Uh, you're being purposeful. And, you know, you're you're not necessarily telling the kids, hey, let's uh, let me show you how to build a fire, uh, but you are doing it, you know, so that they have that skill. And all the way on the other side of that is that. Uh, you know, you're running your family through all these things, and you're you're purposely ticking them off, ticking them off, and waiting for them. You know, to to you're pushing their buttons and things like that. The mental toughness. I wanted to just uh, when I was I was thinking about this one earlier. Um, so in in my my job when I was on the campus, there was times where it was just really stressful. It was just like you're always going, 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 going. Uh, you have parents that are yelling at you, parents that are telling you, um, believe it or not, parents that are telling you that you've done things wrong when you know that you've done things right, telling you that you're one way when you know that you're not that way, um, telling you that you're racist. I'm like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm Hispanic. I mean, what do you, come on. Um, I mean, all, all different kinds of things that, that are going on. And um, there's a lot of the, there was a lot of the times when when I was feeling at least this is the way that I that I dealt with it when I was feeling when I was going 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 and I was stressed I was good I was I was pushing through I was doing what I needed to do I was getting things done but the minute that I had like a day or two where it was well, I was able to relax so let's say there was a three day weekend or let's say there was a Thanksgiving break or Christmas break or something like that. Then all of a sudden my body would crash, and uh, you know it was like I started feeling you know the pain in my shoulders. You know that's where kind of like my stress would 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 uh, would wind up being. You know I guess you know I just had my I was just so in, so tensed up, uh, and I would just really start feeling it. You know that way and run down and and but in the midst of it all I was okay. It was just when I had that time to finally kind of just take a breather where I started feeling like that. And I think if you're in a real SHTF situation, you're going to be like that. Your body is going to be going, going, going. Not only the mental toughness, not only the physical toughness, but you're going to have to be dealing with a stress, a constant stress. Especially if you are seeing 
things that that you've never seen before happen. Um, you're seeing people doing things that you've never seen them before. You know, society is breaking down, and uh, you know you're not going to be able to sleep. You're going to be worried what's going on. Uh, all those kinds of things uh, that are going on. So you're going to be dealing with a, a level of stress that you might not have uh, have dealt with before. Or if you have dealt with stress before, it's just gonna, you know, uh, you know, it's gonna deal with you. Uh, I think attitude is very, very important to have, um, and uh, w- the work ethic. People will surprise you. So, I mean, my oldest son, my oldest son didn't uh, start working till later on. Uh, you know, he, I think he was a senior in high school. He was so involved in so many activities that he uh, it just wouldn't have been I mean he would have been like working you know like one day out of the week and it just wouldn't have been worth it because he was just so into so many different activities so when he got to uh when he got his first job I really didn't know how he was going to react you know I was going to like oh this kid I'm going to have to push him I'm going to have to you know all that kind of stuff and uh you know because there's times where where you ask them to do things just like typical kids, you know, uh, it's like if they weren't totally into it, you know, you're, you're, you're getting on to them. But he just totally surprised me because he would go out there and he would work and he worked his butt off. Um, the job that he did was, you know, it, 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 it could be stressful. But then uh, a couple of days into his job, they asked him if he wanted to take a second shift. And uh, because somebody wasn't showing up to work, and so he agreed to it. And he wound up keeping that second shift all through the summertime. Um, he started work that, that last semester of school, and then he kept it all during the summertime. And um, it was really, you know, it really worked out and really Im- impressed us. He was work, he was picking up uh, shifts whenever he could. And uh, so we were, you know, it was like, hey, uh, there was something inside of him that kind of kicked in. And I think that happens to people, too. So, you know, I know that we are we're always jamming the millennials and, and we're all, you know, but there's boomers. There are, you know, generation Xers that are just as lazy. And, uh, you know, you got to find that that desire on the inside. And uh, I think when people are motivated enough, uh, they are. And so if we're in this big situation here, there are going to be people that, you know, that want to go into fetal position and just completely give up because everything, if, if this kind of scenario happens when, when everything is gone, everything that they were used to, everything that they enjoyed, everything that they loved out of life is going to be gone. I mean, you're going to be working your butt off. You're going to be, you know, surviving. It's, you know, those kinds of things. So, uh, but people will sur- people will surprise you um, in, in all of that. I think some of these, um, you know, the fact of hey, you know, test out your your survival skills, have some challenges. Um, I think as a family, just having a uh, just as a fun type thing. Not if you're like, hey, we're gonna do the survival challenge to so that we can you know uh, weather the apocalypse. But hey, you know we're gonna do these these fun activities, and don't even call them fun activities. I mean, don't even call them like survival things. Call them, you know, do some knot challenges and, and different things like that. You know, making different knots and I don't know different skills. Uh, you know, you know your family best. You know how they're gonna respond. Um, sometimes you need to teach them uh, a skill while they while they're they're not even realizing that they're learning a skill. You know what I mean? Uh, coming coming at it from that point of view. And then there's going to be some of y'all that you might have family that are going to totally thrive on this, uh, that would love to have these family competitions, love to learn new skills, 
but I, I really believe that that's a very very rare if you if you have that type of family uh man I'd love to hear from you and and really I would love to hear like how you started it how you uh what kinds of things you do um is some of the things that were in this article are they are they you know rational to do um you know how how do your kids come along it and and I'm going to I'm going to say that a lot of the families that would operate in something like this, that they've they've been doing it since kids were small. They they've been doing you know all their life, uh, and so I think that's uh, you know that would be part of it. But um, you know that and this is if again the the poop really really hits the fan and uh, we we wind wind up being you know lights out uh, you know the Walking Dead all that kind of stuff uh, going on. But uh, I like the approach to um, to learning. I, I'm you know, I'm an educator, and I think learning and and preparing and all of that is important. Mental toughness is going to serve you well, no matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter if society has broken down or not. Uh, they alluded to it in the article that the world is already tough. You're already going to have bosses who are who are uh, just mean and they're going to take advantage of you and they're going to yell at you and uh, you know you're going to sometimes you're going to have to push through that sometimes you just say hey this job's not worth it screw it and you go find another job other times you're just like hey I just got to I got to push through it and uh, and get through it just for uh you know the next month or whatever or until maybe I find a job uh, another job so um there's a lot of links that you can go click on um that were mentioned in this article so you want to go check those out at survivalsullivan.com like always i will link to it on prepper website on episode 122 and then also in the show notes if you uh if your podcast catcher or itunes that you, if you're listening to it there if you can see the 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 show notes or the podcast notes you uh, can go directly there all right so this next one comes to us from preparednessadvice.com uh, it's very interesting to me. I know I'm kind of talking a lot about just education here. Um, this is based on six habits of highly effective preppers. Um, our school, we did the seven habits of highly effective people uh, as part of our um, uh, classroom management, as part of our you know character building and, and skill building uh, that we had, and just trying to build leaders. And it really worked out. Uh, it went really, really well. I had read an article by Stephen Covey um, years ago when our school needed something, needed a focus, and um, it, you know he wrote a book called the The Leader in Me, uh, you know about applying this into you know the school environment, and it worked. It it, it works, and if you know uh, everyone from the top down, from the principal on down, will incorporate it, it, it does work and it does happen. And we had some great things going on at that school. So this kind of spoke to me when I saw this because you can really uh, you can apply uh, the seven habits of highly effective people in 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 almost anything. So um, let's go ahead and, and uh, read this one. There is only six habits here. Uh, the one that's missing is synergize. So uh, maybe we'll we'll be able to cover that one as well. In 1989, Stephen Covey published his timeless book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And launched, and launched not only a seven habits empire, but changed countless lives. I was reviewing his list of habits and was struck by how many of them directly apply to preparedness and survival from everyday emergencies to worst case scenarios. Here are six of Covey's habits and how they apply to prepping. Number one is be proactive. 
To be frank, none of us have all the time in the world to get prepped. Even folks on vacation have to be concerned about sudden emergencies like this recent event in North Carolina. Even small emergencies catch most people unaware, and even fewer people are ready for the truly big crisis that life has to offer. It's not enough to just know about impending cat catastrophes such as worldwide depression or the possibility of an EMP, and neither is it enough to spend hours researching survival topics. If you and your family are to survive and thrive well beyond any crisis, it requires being proactive right now, today. Stephen Covey was right to have this as his first habit. Number two is begin with the end in mind. What do you want your family and home to look like following a major catastrophe? Do you want to have enough food, water, medicine, and supplies to last at least six months, a year? Do you want to have cash, gold, and silver cashed in case of a banking collapse? Do you want to be strong, healthy, and fit, able to do plenty of physical labor and take care of the family? Do you want your home to be the one in the neighborhood that survives because it is surrounded by sandbags that protect it from floodwaters? Develop an actual picture in your mind of what your optimal survival scenario will look like. Who will be with you? How will you all arrive at that destination? How will you make sure that your survival situation is secure? What will you have in terms of gear and supplies? How will tasks be delegated? What will a typical day and night be for the duration of the scenario? With a crystal clear picture in mind, you can then set goals in order to achieve it. Without that clear goal in mind, you're taking a gamble on something where every day counts. The next thing, uh, number three, is put first things first. The basics of survival are water, food, shelter, and warmth. Wherever you live right now is where you must begin. That off-the-grid survival retreat may or may not become a reality and may or may not be desirable, but that's the subject of a different article. So don't put off becoming as prepared as you possibly can be right where you are today. Fully cover the basics first. Number four, effective preppers think win-win. Too often, survival-minded people circle the wagons and include only their immediate family and maybe their very closest friends. But history has shown repeatedly that it's groups of people who do best when it comes to survival. Neighborhoods and towns who band together following a tornado, for example, recover more quickly than someone trying to do everything on his or her own. Look for ways to connect with others in your survival plans. No, you shouldn't tell anyone everything, but sharing ideas, strategies, and being supportive of others will increase the chances of your own survival, and that's smart. If the people surrounding you also have plans and supplies for survival, it's a win-win for everyone. How to find those people? Well, as author Jim Cobb says, go places where preppers tend to hang out. Gardening classes, prepper meetups, fishing and hunting clubs, and so on. Number five. Seek first to understand and then to be understood. Not everyone has the same level of common or I'm sorry, not everyone has the same level of concern for survival as you. Some relatives and friends may even seem hostile when you mention food storage and being prepared for emergencies emergency disasters. Normalcy bias is the default setting for nearly everybody, and since our brains are already wired for that response, it's no wonder that so many people cringe when prepping is mentioned. There are many reasons why people are oblivious to impending dangers from health issues to hurricanes. Rather than try to force someone to change their mind, spend time listening and asking questions. You may discover that the reason they don't want to hear about preparedness is because they are frozen with fear and your lectures force them 
even further into a fear-filled corner. Number six is sharpen the saw. It takes far more effort to cut down a tree with a dull saw than a sharp one. You'll be able to set clearer goals, stay focused, and accomplish more when you take care of yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Always remember that you are a pivotal factor in the survival of your loved ones. When you don't take care of yourself, they become more vulnerable. Who will protect them if you can't or are untrained or unfit to do so? From time to de decompress, read a book just for entertainment, pray, get into a regular exercise routine, do some of the things you know you should do but don't. In a crisis, you'll need to be prepared in every way to respond quickly, decisively, and with authority. That won't happen sitting in front of a video game, regardless of what level you're on in League of Legends. Based on, this six, based on these six habits, where do you stand as a prepper? So, um, the, actually, number six is synergize, and then number seven is sharpen the saw. Um, synergize would be like putting it all together, working together. Um, and definitely that's part of, you know, we've already kind of talked about that in that previous, um, the previous uh, article is, you know, working together with your family, working together with your mutual uh, assistance group, um, you know, working together and, and putting together that plan because no one is an island by, uh, by, by itself. I think, I think we've gotten to the point in the preparedness community and the survival community where people realize that the, the, the lone ranger going out to the woods um, to survive on is, is just, it, that's not going to work. Um, you're going to die really quick, right? Um, so, I mean, if, you, if you're still holding to that and that's what your plan is, more power to you. But I think more people who are wanting to, pre they're preparing and uh, looking into survival scenarios and survival situations is because they want to survive, because they want to take care of their family. So the idea is that you have to work with other people. So that synergizing part, it, you know, will would do that. But not only that, synergizing would also include when you start putting it all together, the whole picture together, right? Um, you have food, you have water. I mean, a lot of the times we look at these things and we say, okay, you need to have this, you need to have this, you need to have this, and you, and you have all these things, and they're kind of like separate silos. But synergizing would be that you put all these things to all these things together, and they work all together for your preparedness, for your survival, for your you know for your ability to to thrive when when you need to. And so uh, that's another way of, of looking at it when you're looking at the, the big picture and putting it all and how it all works together, uh, not just keeping it all in silos. So interesting there. I haven't seen a seven habits uh, of highly effective preppers uh, article uh, that I ever remember. So uh, when I saw that one, it kind of piqued my interest there uh, to post that on prepper website and to, uh, to talk a little bit about that here on the podcast. So uh, some good uh, articles here. You want to go check those out. Even uh, in preparedness advice, there's a lot of links. I mean, a lot of links that you want to go check out and, uh, you know, link to other things there. So, hey, uh, thanks so much for listening to episode 122 of uh, the Prepper Website Podcast. If you get a chance, come by the website and drop me a line in one of the comment sections or... Uh, uh, hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and hopefully you uh, you know you'll uh, enjoy the podcast enough that you'll share us out on social media. We make it very easy for you on the on the on the prepperwebsitepodcast.com website, or even give us a review on iTunes. That's always appreciated. With that, choose to live a more self reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. 
Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.